Hope y'all are doing well. We are in a uh, six-week-long series called Church Member, Remedy Church Member, and this is week five. This is week five. Um, just to bring you up to speed if you haven't been here, um, we are all reading this book here together. If you don't have it, you can go back to the information table and get a free copy of it. We ordered tons of them, and there's plenty for everyone. So please run back there and take one, uh, and you can have it for the next couple weeks. You know, take an extra. If you've been reading it and you've really liked it and you think someone that you know would like it, take it. I mean, as long as there's ones on the book, uh, on, the, on the table, it's free game because I don't want a whole bunch of extra books. Um, I did lose my autographed copy. I had an autographed copy and I, I've lost it. So someone out there, if you open up the very beginning and there's a written in silver, you know, Fudd, you're awesome from Tom Rainer. It doesn't say that, but it says something similar to that. Um, you know, I lost mine. So one of y'all, you know, you have the gold one. So, uh, Anyway, take this, use it, give it away, whatever. We've got, as long as they're on the, on the, on the uh, table back there, like at the end of the series, we want them all to be gone. That's really my goal. So get one, please, everyone. Go right now if you want. It's fine. Um, make sure you get this. But we're doing that. Uh, bring them with you to community group, etc. cetera. Uh, so over the last six weeks, there's some different topics we've been talking about. Um, from the very beginning, I said, as we're doing this uh, series on church membership, we're starting with the presupposition that church membership is biblical. So if you had questions about the, the, um, the idea, hey, is, is church membership a biblical idea? I'm starting with that presupposition. So if you want to talk about that, you can find me one day and we can, we can certainly chat about it. But since I'm starting with that, so really the whole six weeks are not about um, trying to convince you that church membership is biblical, but instead trying to, over the next of these last six weeks, uh, talk about the implications of that. Then what does that mean for you specifically as a believer? Um, certainly it means you should join, etc. But we've talked about <clears throat> the fact if you have giftedness, uh, how your gift mix should, should be used, what it means to be a unifying church member. You're always seeking to um, be a church member that, uni- that, that wants to have a unif- unification idea of, of, of being a church member. Uh, we've talked about what it means to put away your own uh, preferences and look for the good of the body. We talked about praying for the leadership. And today we're going to be talking about what I think is probably one of the most uh, important parts of, of being a church member. Because when we talk about church member, that first word in church, in, in church member is very key, church. And so the idea is um, God has given his church a mission. And the way that that mission is going to be accomplished is not by individuals hopefully trying to get it done, but instead... The way the mission is going to happen is because of the church. God's number one idea in carrying out the mission that he has given Christians is through the church. And so when we're talking about um, being a church member today, we're going to talk about being a missional church member. So what does it mean to be a missional church member? Now, we're going to use a text that's possibly a little bit different. Um, You you know this text primarily is uh, about what it looks like for, to have like instructions in the family. So we've done these, these particular texts several times when we're talking about marriage. We've done Ephesians um, 22, 5.22 and following to around 33. And when we talked about raising children, we've done s- separate uh, series on those kinds of things. And we've done Ephesians 6, 1 and 4. And I, uh, I did Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We talked about that. Jack did Deuteronomy 6. And so usually these texts are talking about, and well, not, that's what they actually are. They're instructions for families. But I'm going to take a little bit different slant on, and look at this. So I'm going to read these, these verses to you to get the, the entire bit of context. And you have to remember 
um, as you're reading this, I'm going to point out a verse before we even get started so you can see why I'm using church membership, missional church membership, and I'm using these particular verses. But if you look at verse 32, look at verse, chapter 5, verse 32, it sets the whole stage of why I would be using these verses. So if you look at chapter 5, ver- verse 32, as we're looking at the idea of uh, what it looks like to be a Christian husband and wife, and even um, children and what, what a dad looks like raising his children, verse 32 gives you the whole idea of why I would be using this. Look, look what it says. This mystery is profound, talking about marriage, husband and wife coming together as one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we can already see in this Ephesians 5, instructions on families, um, and it's really, there's three sets if you look at it. There's, there's three sets there. There's Ephesians 5 um, where you have someone that's, that's in leadership and one, someone that submits to them. So you have husbands and wives. And then Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, you have dads that lead and children that submit. And right after that, even in uh, chapter 6, verse 5 and following, you've got the, the, the people that slave owners and slaves that submit. So you've got three sets of leadership and submission in there. So you, you can see there's kind of a pattern that he's trying to make. But the whole point that he's trying to make, especially when he's talking about families in 522 down through 6.4 is he is relating it to Christ and the church. So he says, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. And so because of that, if we were to take kind of a big step back at this whole text, we would realize, yes, this instructions for families, but it's all getting, it's taking its cues from Jesus and the church. And so what I'm going to do today is, since that's the case, I mean, obviously, the husband and wife are looking to Christ and the church and taking their cues, and even the family is. Um, I'm going to look at this particular text in a different way and relate it to the church and its missional um, endeavor. So let's read the text, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Ephesians chapter 5, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for even... For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And because we are his members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as, as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it, go well, may, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So this is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in um, and look at what it means to be a missional church member. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that as we look at it, it certainly will do its work and that um, the best thing I can do is move out of the way. Your word cuts down deep 
to joint and marrow and, and separates us and shows us and opens us up and lays us bare. And I pray that it would do that this morning. As we look at church membership, specifically in the idea of mission this morning, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, um, in all of our hearts and minds, reveal to us places that we are, are not being missional church members. And Lord, I pray that um, when we're shown that, we wouldn't run from it. Um, we wouldn't just kind of stay there in, in conviction and just feel bad. But instead, we would hold fast to the gospel, what's been declared of us because of our faith in Christ, and march forward, Lord, as those who want to fulfill this great mission that you've given us. God, I pray that you would help me. You'd move me out of the way and, and give me a clear mind. And help us all see exactly what you're calling us to when it comes to being a missional church member. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I almost said amen, which wouldn't make sense. All right, so look at, look at verse 22 through 24. And then we'll see uh, this, this first little section. So in the first section, he's talking to wives. But as, as we're doing this, and you, I'm going to have to be the same way. I'm going to try not to talk about marriage and try not to, to talk about husbands and wives, although I would love to. Um, and I'm going to try to always take that step back and, re, and look at what's he saying here in regard to the church and Jesus. What's Jesus saying in the way that he relates to his church? And as he's saying in the way that he relates to his church, what does that mean for us as the church and our missional implications? All right, so let's look at this. Look at this. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. So if we were to look at that, we would say, church, submit yourselves unto Jesus. That's that's the way I'm trying to take it today. Y'all see what I'm saying? Wives, submit yourselves... um, to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, and here's why, this is why this is obvious here, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, there's our implication. We as the church must submit ourselves to Christ. Now, as the church submits itself to Christ, so also wives should sub- submit in everything to their husbands. So wives are commissioned here in everything to submit themselves to their husbands, which I've, I've done 25 premarital counselings now or something. And I, almost every one of them, um, unless she's super passive and super dependent, almost every wife I talk to says, that's really hard. <laughs> it's just, that's just really, really super hard. And then I'll say something like, what if, in best case scenario, what if you had a husband that pursued Jesus with everything they had, read their Bible every day, prayed, led people to the Lord, and they said to you, I want to lead you in such a way that you come to know Christ, and I'm going to push you along in your sanctification. I'm going to do everything I can so that every day you're going to see yourself incrementally. I mean, obviously, see yourself growing incrementally in the Lord. He he, ha- he makes the best Christ-centered decisions for the family day in, day out. He- he's unbelievable. And now what's it like? Does that scare you to submit yourself to him? And they're always like, well, no. I mean, come on. Not at all. Okay, here's the thing. That person I just, just described, he doesn't exist. But he is Jesus, right? Jesus does do that. So if we're going to talk about as a church... Are we scared to submit to Jesus in the same way that a wife would be scared to submit to her husband? We should never be. Like, if that husband exists, which he doesn't, 
Um, why, I don't, every wife I've ever met, I've never met one that says, well, no, I wouldn't be scared to submit myself to him. I mean, that, that's awesome. Like, is, you, looks at, are you going to do that? <laughs> Usually no. Um, but no wife ever says no to that. Now, here's the awesome th- news. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do for us. Pursue us. Forgive us. Move us along in sanctification continually. So if that's the case, this point number one is this. Church, submit yourself to your husband Jesus. Now, all I'm trying to do with point number one, there's going to be implications later on. But all I'm trying to do, number one, is to get you to take you to a mental ascension, which is, yes, I'm going to agree to that. Now notice, in verse 24, he tells the wives to submit themselves in everything to their husband. Now, he speaks directly to the wives and tells them. So, obviously, we can say, church, that's the case for you. In everything that Jesus asks you to do, you are to submit yourself to your husband. You're the church. If you're wondering who's the church, every man and woman in here is part of the church, if you're a believer in Jesus. You are to submit yourselves to Jesus in everything. Now... Because this is a missional church membership sermon, um, I am going to take one, one, one angle. I could go several ways when I say you submit yourself to Jesus. I could focus on a lot of things, like you need to focus in on holiness. Jesus says be holy, therefore you're to submit yourself in everything, therefore I want you to pursue holiness. Kill sin, yada, I could go all kinds of places, right? Marriage, you are to submit yourself to Jesus, church. Jesus says he wants a husband and wife that love each other. We could just go and unpack these texts right here. Therefore, submit yourself to what Jesus says, husband and wife, and pursue your, your spouse. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I want to focus on one thing this sermon, and that's you submitting yourself to Jesus missionally. I want you to agree in everything, but specifically today, I want to be the kind of church member that is going to submit myself to Jesus completely when in regard to mission. All right, so here's what I mean when I say that. Missional um, is a pretty overused word. And so uh, what do I mean when I say missional? Um, perhaps you've been here a while and you, you know what I'm going to say, but I want to unpack it for you anyway. So there's, there's the mission of God. This is God's mission. This isn't our mission. He gives us a similar mission, but God's mission, the missio day, Luke 19.10 Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, in a way, we do that, right? In a way, in our evangelism, we seek and try to save. But, but really, um, we know that seeking, trying to seek people, we, we're, just, we're, just, we're just finding anybody we can. But Jesus knows whom he is um, predestined and adopted from eternity past. And he's seeking and he saves them. We can't save anybody. We can tell them the gospel and God saves them. But on, this is, so this is God's mission to save. Our, our, our mission, I'm going to talk about, but when we talk about the missio dei, the, God's mission, what his mission is, this is his, is to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. Now, remember, this is all falling under the rubric of I'm wanting you to submit yourself completely to God's mission, to, to the mission of God, what, what he's calling you. Completely submit yourself missionally. Now, that's the mission. That's God's mission, Luke 19.10. But Jesus also commissioned us. So Luke 19.10 is what God does. That's why he came. He seeks and saved the lost. What we do, he told us in Matthew 28, um, 18 through 20. I'll just kind of summarize it with two words, make disciples. 
He told us to go and make disciples. This is why you're still here. One of the many reasons, but this is why you're still here. Why after he saved you, he didn't just, you know, bring you up in the rapture up to heaven and say, well, all right, you're saved. You can leave now. Like you're here still for however long you're here. And one of the primary reasons, because you're part of the church, is to go now obey that commission, that great commission he's given us, which is to go make disciples. So we're supposed to do that. Now, this is where I think it gets pretty important. Because since we're talking about submitting yourself to, church, to, to our husband Jesus, and I'm, all I'm trying to do with point number one is just to, to get you to agree with me. Yes, I'm, going, I'm supposed to do that, and yes, I'm going to do that. We'll talk about what it looks like in a little bit. Um, I want you to think about this. How are we sent? Now, we know Jesus was sent on a mission, and we know that we're sent on a mission. We're both sent, right? God sent Jesus. Jesus sends us. Jesus has accomplished his mission. Church is still working on, his, on our mission until Jesus calls us home. But I want you to think about this for a second, because what I'm trying to do is to get you to agree. I want you to feel like the weight of this amazing sentness that we have so how are we sent then how are we sent to do this mission let's talk about it this way are we sent similarly in the, to the way that jesus was sent so john chapter 20 verse 21 this is jesus uh, at the end of his life he's looking at his disciples and he says something that's, you can breeze by it and, and, and maybe not full, feel the full weight of it, but it's quite striking if you stop and just ponder this verse for a little bit. Chapter 20, verse 21, he says this. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And watch this. Don't miss the second half of 21. This is quite striking. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, if we just unpack that first little half of that sentence. As the Father has sent me, consider the way that the Father has sent Jesus. The way that he has sent, sent Jesus um, is that Jesus has come with an absolute certain mission. He's definitely going to accomplish it. His fortitude is amazing. Like, there's no question in regard to the fortitude of Jesus. He is certainly going to come and do it. We, we know from history that he did do it. He went all the way to the end and did it. And the attitude of Jesus, not just the fortitude, but the attitude of Jesus, which is laid out for us, if, we're, if you're still in Ephesians, you can turn like one page. The attitude of Jesus to do this is laid out for us in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, though he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So the fortitude of Jesus is, I'm absolutely, it's definite, it's going to happen. I'm going to go and I'm going to be the savior of the world. And the attitude which he's going to do is, I'm not going to count all my godness, I'm not going to count, like I can hold on to that instead. I'm not going to count as something to be grasped. I'm going to let go. I'm going to lower myself, still remaining God, but become on, take on the likeness of human flesh, thereby lowering himself, taking the form of a servant and becoming the God man. And the Father says, and I'm sending you in that way, with fortitude that it's definitely going to have, and the most servant, humble attitude ever. Now, now that we've got all this sentness of Jesus kind of unpacked, this verse in John 20, 21 is quite striking. When he says, 
as the Father has sent me, in that same attitude and fortitude, and the way that God sent his Son, and the way that Jesus came, Jesus looks at us and says, so I am sending you. That's amazing. The same way that Jesus came is the same, was sent by the Father, is the same way that Jesus is saying, now I'm sending you. Therefore, we're supposed to have the absolute same fortitude and attitude as Jesus in our sentness. It's definite. It's going to happen. The, what, the plan A and the only plan of the mission happening is the church. And therefore, I want to have the same attitude as Jesus. Humbled, servant, yes, it's, I'm, I want to be a part of this. This is, a, this is an amazing thing. Now, the missio day is that he'd seek and save the lost. And our commission is to go make disciples. And the way that we're sent is the exact same way that the Father sent his own son. Jesus sends us the same way to go be on mission. So all I'm asking you here is just to agree, church, submit yourself to Jesus in everything. And specifically, I'm talking about mission. So a good church member, Remedy or wherever, says, yes, I am going to be the kind of church member that submits themselves to the mission of God. You and I are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent to do his mission. The church bears the responsibility for evangelism. God is the, is the one who converts. God's the one who seeks and saves. But we bear the responsibility of doing evangelism. Which means it's definite. It's going to happen. And we should be humbly submitted to it. Humbly submitted to it. This is having the same fortitude and attitude as Christ. So that's the first thing I want you to see. Um, as we're looking at this, as he says, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. That's church, remedy church, submit yourselves to Jesus and everything. And one of those ways is submitting yourself to his mission, which he says he has sent you to be um, the same way that God sent him. Now, that's the first thing. And I think that's, that's insanely amazing. I mean, just like... If we just stopped there and I just said, all right, we're going to pray, I think we could all say, um, I'm on the conviction list of not maybe feeling the full weight of my sentness. I just kind of, I mean, if you're like me, and maybe you're not, but if you're like me, some days I kind of ho-hum through the day and forget this amazing sentness that I have been given by God, which is in the same way as God sent Jesus. I mean, if we just stop and think the way that God sent Jesus, we would just say, that's a pretty big deal. Like, that's... That's, that's a huge deal. If we try to unpack the way that God sent Christ, like it's absolutely going to happen. And he tells us that I'm sending you in the exact same way that the Father sent me. Then I probably, if I felt the full weight of that continually every day, I wouldn't ho-hum through life. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you have those kinds of days where you're not feeling the full weight of sentence. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have that every day. But what I'm asking you right now as a Remedy Church member is to consider this. Let's start cultivating as best as we can being a missional church member, an attitude that says, I am going to agree with this. Part of being a member of a church is I am going to be on mission because he's told me to go make disciples. Now, that's the first thing. Um, the next thing is we're going to get to making disciples, I promise you. But the next thing is before we do that, we've talked about agreeing with the submission. Now I want to talk about the message itself. Because this is, is unlike anything else. 
And we do this every week. But we have to. I mean, this, the message, the gospel message in these particular verses is unbelievable. So if you look at the next little section with me, starting at 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So this means we're looking at church. We're looking at the way Jesus loved us. We're looking at the way Jesus loved us and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So the next section is this. The f- number one, the first part about I will be a, a missional church member is church, submit yourself to Jesus, your husband. The next one is church, be in awe of this amazing message we carry. We just need to be in awe. And again, it's easy day by day in our jobs that we have to not find ourselves um, preaching this great gospel to ourselves each day and being in awe of this great message we carry. So what do I mean by being in awe of? Here's what I mean. And we're just going to look at these verses, 25 through 27, because there's plenty of gospel-licious language in there. Look what it says. Husbands, love your wife as, look at this, Christ loved the church. We need to be in awe of the fact that Christ loved us. Here's why. Because there was nothing in you or me in the beginning that loved him. As a matter of fact, as Romans 5 says, that one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners or enemies or haters of God, he loved us. There was nothing in us that was lovely. There was nothing in us that was seeking him. There was nothing in us that wanted anything to do with him. And he looked upon that just mess right there and he said, I'm going to love them. So it says this, but God, God shows, I'm OKJV okay, there, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. So when we look at this first little sentence, Christ loved the church, we, we can't just fast forward through that and go, yeah, we got that. Of course Jesus loves us. Jesus loves me. This, I'm like, no, 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 Jesus loves us. And there was nothing in us that loved him first or back. And he pursued us. And then as we saw his beauty, as we saw his grandeur, as we saw this amazing gospel, then he loved, we loved him. But this amazing gospel, be in awe of the fact that Jesus loves us. That's the first one. Next one is this. Not only did he love you, but he gave himself up for you. He gave himself up for you. That means you deserved everything, everything, and you didn't get any of it. But instead, he who didn't deserve anything got all of it for you. He gave himself up for you. Sometimes the idea of giving, Jesus giving himself up, up doesn't hit me. Like, so I, I've, got, I've got children, a lot of them. And so <laughs> um, whenever they do this, I'm just so struck by it. Just the other day, we were, um, we were going somewhere, and 
both, you know, if you have lots and there's just a little bit of seats, they all want to do it, right? And there was one that, that was going, and it was, it was her turn. She was supposed to. It was all for her. And she saw that one of the siblings didn't get to do it, and she literally gave up her own turn so that they could go and they could have the fun. And I just was like, oh, you gave up your seat. Like, oh, that's just amazing. And I'm thinking, maybe I'm doing some right things here and there. Like, amazing. And I, I, get, I get so moved by the fact that one of my children would do that. Some, you know, I'm not, this is just a secret, but sometimes I even get teary-eyed. Like, it, like, like, what's wrong with me that I would be more moved that my children would give up a seat for a ride or whatever? What's wrong with me that I wouldn't be more moved that Jesus gave himself up for me? So like when we think about this, Jesus gave himself up for me. This should move us amazingly. This isn't just some small little deal like, you know, he, he, he knocked himself out of line so you could have cuts, you know. It, it's not that. It's way bigger than that. He literally gave himself up for us. We should be quite moved. So he loved us. He gave himself up for us. And then look at this. He sanctifies us. He literally sets you apart as his own. And in that sanctification, you become more like him, more holy, less sinful. He sanctifies you. He doesn't leave you on your own. He doesn't just love you and make you stay in your filth, in my filth. He literally picks us up and sets us apart and makes us sanctified, makes us more like him. Not only that, I mean, it just keeps getting better, right? The hits just keep on coming, but in a good way. He cleanses us. He literally cleanses you. And, and some of you need to hear both ways of what I'm talking about. He cleanses you from the sins that have been done against you. Some of you had terrible, terrible things done to you in your lifetimes. And you just never feel like you can rid yourself of that, that kind of cloud of dirt and filth that somebody sinned against you. And you need to hear what your King Jesus, your Savior, has done. He's cleansed you. He's cleansed you completely, thoroughly. And some of you are on the other side. You haven't had sin done against you, but you have done the sins. You, you, you live day in, day out with that. The, the, feel, the, the, the feeling of, I can't stand what I've done. Not only have all the sins that have been done against you been cleansed, but the ones that you've done, willingly, you've been cleansed. We should find ourselves far more often being in awe of this great message that he loved us. He gave himself up for us. He sanctifies us. He cleanses us. Cleanses us. And then this is the best. Look at this. This is so amazing. One day in heaven, he is going to present the church to himself. He is going to present you to himself. And as the presentation happens, what's going to be true of you, what is true of you now, it's one of those already not yet, and what will be true of you is that you will be without spot, you will be without blemish, you will be without wrinkle, you will be 
holy. What, what we shouldn't be giving to daily finding ourselves in awe of this great message. We are going to one day in heaven be presented by Jesus to himself without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, and holy. Now, I'm relating all this to mission. And all I've done so far is just try to convince you to submit and then given you this amazing message, which he's already given, and saying, that message is absolutely worth taking up the task of being missional. And I want everyone to hear this thing. I want everyone to get on on. This, this is unbelievable. If I could just somehow tell this to people and they really hear it and really feel it the way it makes me feel. And when I, when I read this as a believer, it just so moves me. Then you're, you're ready to say, okay, I'm ready for the mission then. Like, <laughs> I want people to know this amazing message and feel all the feelings it conjures up in my soul when I realize I'm cleansed and holy and without blemish and he loved me even though I had nothing to do with him. That's where we get into the second, the last couple things. And, and these last couple things I think are, are quite amazing as well. So, we know that our task is to make disciples. We know that our task is to make disciples. And at Remedy, we've tried to always um, help us see that making disciples means a couple things. It means that if someone is a believer, they still need to be made a disciple, be made a disciple of. It's not like a disciple is a convert. We're not out to make converts of all nations. We're out to make disciples of all nations. And so certainly conversion's part of it, but there's a whole lot more to it, right? So when we talk about making disciples, we want believers to be made a disciple, but we want unbelievers to be converted and also be made a disciple. So that's what these last two things are. So let's, let's look at them, and let's look how the Bible talks about what that looks like. 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, man, if you're a husband, that last part of, of 28, this is a side note. I know I'm not preaching on marriage, but seriously, seriously, wow. He who loves his wife loves himself unpack that to its depths as a husband and realize just how far we have, right? If there's anything selfish in me where I don't serve my wife, I am completely contradicting that verse. He who loves his wife loves himself. As a husband, I should pour out myself to service to my wife because as I do that, that's how I love myself is by serving her. So anyway, that's just a side note not serving myself and showing myself that I love myself. But instead, I love myself by... Okay, I'm, I'm, anyway. I've, <laughs> for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. Those are the two key words I'm going to use. It just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And that's interesting. Because we're members of his body. This is the same kind of language we use when we started um, from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And so we realize he's employing membership body language. And as he's talking about this membership body language, I used it in the context of, therefore, you're an arm, you're a finger, you're, a, you're an eye. Play your part as the eye. Play your part as the finger. And he's going to turn this and say, so there's a whole bunch of people in the body, eyes and fingers. And he says, 
what you ought to be doing, because Christ is wanting to nourish and cherish that body, we should also, as believers, if I, if I care, I should, as this arm, want to cherish and nourish that arm. And I should want to cherish and encourage. It's the same idea in the body here. We should want to cherish and nourish the body as believers. So let's keep going. Um, therefore, a man, this is, you know, quoting Genesis, therefore, <clears throat> a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So these are the things that Christ does for the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So as we're looking at that, what we can see then is that there's, there's a big, tight connection between Christ and the church and how they're interwoven together and how, they, how they're supposed to as Jesus nourishes and cherishes the, the church, then he's also doing that for himself, etc. And as, as the church, we can see that this is our responsibility for each other. So here's the third thing. Church, nourish and cherish each other. So I said our, our, our task is to make disciples. So I'm leaning over on this, this side, which is, we're not just wanting a bunch of converts, but instead, we're wanting people that are Christians now. So I'm talking to you as the church, looking around inside your, your church here. There are people in your community groups that are believers. And what I'm saying, as a church member, missionally, making disciples means there are people in your church that you are to care for, nourish, and cherish. There are people that are converts now that need to grow in their discipleship. They need to grow as disciples. And you as the church, are actively a part of that. You are to use your giftings to nourish and cherish the believers in Remedy Church. If you don't, by the way, it says, look what it says. In the same way husbands should love their wives, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. It seems to be saying that if we choose not to do that, that in some ways we hate our church. In some ways we don't care. No, I don't think anybody would say that. So what does Christ do? He nourishes and cherishes his bride. He is one flesh with us, and therefore, in the same way, under the same pattern, this is the same thing that we should do for each other. He does this because he considers us part of his body. Therefore, we must realize that as fellow members, we're all in a body together. And we must nourish and cherish each other in the same way that Christ does for us. We should also, in that pattern, now I'm not saying you're Jesus, okay? I'm not saying you're Jesus. I am saying that you are to be Christ-like. And a way to make disciples, half of making disciples and obeying the, the Great Commission is inside your church, if this is your church or wherever your church is, is to make disciples that are already converts and help them grow in their faith. So if you go to your groups or you come here halfway, then you're just halfway making your disciples. You've, you've got to fully take on the missional task, which is I'm going to, with everything I can, with the people that God puts before me, do everything I can to pursue them missionally. And if they're believers, I want to pursue them missionally by nourishing and cherishing them and seeing them grow and seeing them become stronger Christians. We're going to talk about the other half in a second. So let's just get real practical here. Think of right now one person that's not your spouse, one person in your community group, same gender, for heaven's sakes, (laughs) 
same gender that you can nourish and cherish, grow as a disciple, missionally um, pour into this week. Just one person this week, seven days. I'm not asking you to Billy Graham them, you know, and, and all of a sudden they're going to the 1040 window after six days. All right? I'm saying, what can you do this week for one person to see them grow in the faith? Usually, whenever we start saying yes to that, and we start doing it, and we see an appreciation of somebody, that makes us think, well, I can do that again. And I'm going to think of another way. And as I get to know them, they're going to open up to me a little bit more, and they're going to say, I, there's all kinds of ways that I can minister to you. All kinds of ways. Maybe you've got somebody... Maybe you've got a young mom that hasn't slept in three months. <laughs> and you can minister to her by coming over and reading the Bible to her. Praying for her. Maybe, I mean, there's all kinds. I, I could just list off stuff. And I, I'm usually long-winded, so I shouldn't. So what's one person? Who's one person? And if you're not in a community group, just look around right now. And someone you think that looks interesting, same gender. And, and, and find someone here. And go, go afterwards and say, you know what? <laughs> this will be real creepy. After service, say, I want to nourish and cherish you. Just go right up to him and say that. No, don't do that. That would be really weird. But, but seriously, if you know somebody here, that would be so strange. Like, but if you know somebody here a little bit and you don't have anybody in your community group, go up to them and say, hey, let, let's do lunch this week or let's, let's hang out sometime in the next week and I, wanna, I just want to you know, take you out to lunch and know how I can pray for you. Who can you this week Make a disciple of. That's already a believer. We haven't even got to the unbelievers yet, which is a big deal, real big deal. You're going to guess it. You know, it's pretty obvious. So let's just look at it. My favorite's how I worded it. Children, obey your parents of the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's one really obvious thing. As we're leaving husbands and wives, there's just an inference there. It, it's, it's pretty plain forward, but in the Bible, there's just an assumption that husbands and wives are going to have children, right? So Jesus and the church should have children, right? It's, it's just, it seems to be the plain forward assumption here. If we're taking a step back and looking at these passages missionally, it seems to be a plain implication. So here's my fourth thing. Church, have children. Have children spiritually. Uh, those that are married physically. But I'm just talking about spiritually here. It seems to be pretty plain forward that when Jesus and his church are operating, that there should be children being born. Again, if you will, John 3. We should see, see people being regenerated. Born again, all over the place. So church, and so this is what I'm saying, making disciples, you know, point three was the believers. Here's, here's the unbelievers. This is the, the side of making, um, seeing unbelievers come to know Christ. It's just clear that we as a church should be having children. We should have people being born again. Here, in this particular text, they're told, to obey. The children are told to obey. In the Great Commission, we're told to go make disciples that will obey. Here, children are told to honor their parents. We are 
to go help people know who God is so that they can honor him. Here, fathers are to teach, discipline, and instruct their children. And the Great Commission, we're told to go teach them. I mean, there's even some similar ideas in this from the Great Commission. So, as church members, we are called to have spiritual children to teach them to honor and obey God with their lives. It's, it's quite striking if you read the Pauline epistles. It's almost like, this is weird. There's a huge omission of a commandment. Um, it's some, but as you read it, rarely do we find Paul telling individual Christians to go out and tell others about Jesus. It's pretty interesting. Biblically, what you see is the church as a community, not individuals, the church as a community actively living out the commandment to make disciples. So when I say church have children, you might hear, it's my job individually to have children. And I mean, it's your responsibility, church, to do mission together. We're so individualistic, it's hard for us to climb out of the 21st century and kind of put ourselves back in the context of the first century and realize that back in the first century, it was always the community that lived as they were supposed to and the community invited unbelievers into the community and as they were in the community, they became part of the community and trusted Jesus. The community did mission together and we're just so individualistic that we feel like, you know, we got to break out and go do it all ourselves. And, I mean, that's, the idea is that community together, it, you don't ever hear Paul saying, um, individual Christians, go out and tell us about Jesus. I mean, he certainly lived that way, but he was still doing it in the context of the community. So, the community, and for us, community groups, um, are designed to do mission together. One of the, I always say this, one of the, one another's that we try to fulfill as a community group is mission. So as you have ideas for mission, go to your group of 10 and say, here's my idea for mission. Let us go try to do that. That's why we said we want you as groups to, to find a place on the Winthrop campus and you together focus on that. Because I think, biblically, mission is best accomplished in the context of community rather than individually. Certainly there's, 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 you know, exceptions. Always. You know, you, you, you ran into the guy at the shoe store and you led him to Christ just like, man, how did that happen? You know, I can't believe that. My, my, I say shoe store because my granddad owned a shoe store and he led tons of people to Jesus by himself. Um, he was, if you ever met my granddad, you were going to hear about Jesus within like three minutes. Um, it's, this is the way he was. He got converted later in life at 40. He grew up in the Mississippi, deep south, Thought he was a Christian all the way till 40 and realized he wasn't. And then from 40 till 80 for 40 years, within three minutes of meeting somebody, he told him about Jesus the entire time. He just lit hitchhikers. He, I heard stories like he'd be driving, hitchhiker got in. He said, where you got to go? Good, that's enough time for me to tell you about Jesus. And like before they finally get out, they're converted. Like he was, it's unbelievable. I, I wish he was still here. So like there's certainly exceptions to the idea that individually we're going to see people come to Jesus. But I'm telling you, you will... You will be in it for the long haul much more and not be as scared if you're doing it in community. Unbelievers 
invited into your community, living life with you, saying, this is strikingly different than the way I do life with people. Look at the way you care for each other. Look at the way you love each other. Look at the way you pray for each other. Look at how you say the gospel towards each other all the time. What's this message you keep saying? Oh, let let me tell you. Here it is. He loved us. He gave himself up for us. He sanctified. He cleansed us. He is going to present us to himself one day without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, holy one day. Well, that sounds pretty amazing. Mission is going to be accomplished far more easily in the context of community. I I hurt. Jonathan Dodson, he's the guy that we got our ideas from gospel-centered discipleship. He said, I love this, a chorus of gospel voices is much stronger than a lone evangelistic voice. A chorus of gospel voices is much stronger than a lone evangelistic voice. So when we're talking about evangelism, there's a lot of things that we want to happen. Evangelism is this idea of the presentation of telling people about Jesus. The idea that there are unbelievers that we are going to say missionally, yes, I'm going to reach them. And when we talk about that, there's certain things. There's a guy named David Bosch. I'm going to say this really fast. But whenever we do this, evangelism should be gospel-centered. It focuses on the person and work of Jesus is what, that, what I mean by that. It's not heaven-centered. Like, don't you just want to go to heaven? Well, yeah, but the reason why heaven's so awesome is because Jesus is there. So it's, don't you want to see Jesus and be with Jesus, the lover of your soul, the one that gave himself up for you, the one that died for you? We don't want him just like them to fall in love with a place, fall in love with a person. So it must be gospel-centered. It must be proclamation-oriented. It shouldn't be deed-driven, but it should be good news shared about um, what Christ has done. It's, there should be a call for repentance that they're converted by faith, repentance and faith. It should include the church. The mission is the church's work, not the Christian's work. It is the Christian's work. It's the church's work. It's far more, um, ab- we're far more able to do it if we do it as a church rather than individual- individuals, you know what I mean, individualistically. The church is not a loose collection of spiritually minded individuals, but a family knit together in the unshakable love of the Father. This is what we get and what the world needs to see. This is David Bosch talking about evangelism. And lastly, and this is obviously so important, that evangelism is supposed to be done pointing to the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. He says, modern methods give lip service to the Spirit while 90% of training is aimed at the head. This definition gives us a target for evangelism. As for the book unfolds, these five angels, this is the book he's talking about. Instead of aiming at the head, we as the Spirit, we with the Spirit, want to aim at the heart with our message because the Spirit is the one who converts and saves. Back to the Missio Dei. God's the one that saves. We are the ones that tell the message. And I'm telling you, as a missional church member, you will find yourself much more engaged for the long haul in the context of community. That's why I'm saying missional church member, not a missional Christian. So what does this mean? Let me give some, this is just some practical application stuff. This is all, after we looked at that idea of families and mission and all, I've just got some, some ideas. Maybe these don't apply, maybe these do to your individual situation. Some of you are single in college, some of you are single in a job, some of you are 
married. Some of you, you know, are empty nesters. You're all over the place. But let's, let's, let's uh, look at some of these things about what it might mean. Here's what it could mean. Um, your mission, your, who am I going to be on mission to then? I have no idea. I couldn't name one unbeliever, Fud. Well, that's a big deal. Like, you need to know somebody that's not a believer. But this means, you know, it's not even on here, but I should say it know people that aren't believers. And Jesus was always around unbelievers. He was known as a friend of sinners. Not, not engaging in their sin, but known as a friend of sinners. So that's the kind of people we need to be. But here's what it means. Primarily, your mission could be to your unbelieving family. People that are in your family that aren't believers. You could start right there. That's the people. Use your spouse and use your community group in, on contest community to invite them into your community and be on mission to reach them. This is pretty interesting. We do not find an unchurched, this doesn't mean non-believer, this means, um, this is Dodson, he goes, we do not find an unchurched Christian in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? Every Christian in the New Testament is in a church, in the context of a church. We do not find an unchurched Christian in the New Testament. A person was not saved for the sole purpose of enjoying a personal relationship with God. A person in the New Testament is saved by Jesus to a community to be on mission. So we're not just saved to have my personal relationship with Jesus. and No one can get in here. Everybody can butt out. It's just me and him. And he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I'm his own. <laughs> Old him, right? Like, you're saved to a community. That's the way it should be. Um, We're looking at the families. This means that as families, we should be willing to serve our families. That's clear in there. But with the same kind of determination, not time, not time. You should give more time to your family. But the same determination, we should both love and serve our family and our church family. We must pray. This is another thing. I think that we should pray with our family, often, we should pray that we would have a deep love for the church. We should teach our children or our brothers and sisters, you know, like flesh and blood brothers and sisters that we pray with. We should teach them to have a love for the church. We should encourage our family members to pray for the church. We should encourage our family members to pray with the church the first Wednesday of each month. And we must work. This is the last one. Last application. Eventually, all this stuff I'm talking about comes down to you got to strap on your boots and you got to get to work. It's never just going to happen to you. That, that's the way it happens with anything in life. We can wish and want our whole lives away and never get anything done. Eventually, you got to put the rubber to the road and start working. Doing the hard work of doing life with messy sinners, getting around them, praying for them, getting in their mess, and letting them see your mess, and you just got to get to work. It's time to start doing that hard work of the church that he gave to us, and he sent us in the same way that God sent him. Fortitude and attitude. It's going to happen. I want to do it. That's how it's going to happen. And I want to have a servant heart that says, yes. I am humbled that the Lord would send me in the same way as Jesus. And I am willing to take up the work and do it then. That's the hardest application, I think. It's just saying, all right, it's time to work. 
I got to pull myself out of my little bubble that loves my stuff and get around the people that need as believers to be cherished and nourished and the unbelievers that need to be converted to Christ so that they can be cherished and nourished. The reason why I started with the other two, well, not, not just because the text did, is because we're never going to, I think, have any kind of sustained missional endeavor if we don't agree that we should submit ourselves to Jesus and find ourselves in awe of the message we carry. That's why I started with this, John. Thank you, Paul, for doing that through the Holy Spirit, right? But let's all say yes to submitting to our King Jesus and be in awe of this great gospel. And then let's be missional church members and see something crazy happen in Rock Hill. See something crazy happen in the Atani and the Horn. Let's pray and then worship King Jesus who makes all this possible. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this great gospel. I mean, this is such an amazing gospel. Be with us now as we worship. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name.